grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1983, Representative Pat Schrader coined the term Teflon President to describe President Reagan because he seemed to have a magical ability to avoid blame, like a Teflon pan, nonstick. She said of Reagan, he has been perfecting the Teflon-coded presidency. He sees to it that nothing sticks to him. Other presidents have been described as Teflon as well. Schrader herself told CNN that Bill Clinton was very Teflonish. She mused that, in fact, more and more politicians seem to be doing everything they could to avoid responsibility. She said, I mean, the interesting thing about that is my hope was that people would say, that's right, he's the captain of the ship, and the captain of the ship has some responsibility. They didn't say that. Instead, they said, how do I get one of those Teflon coats? Where do they sell them? Pundits accused Barack Obama of wearing a Teflon coat. They pointed out that even when voters said they disagreed with his policies, his approval ratings remained high. In 2009, for example, only 44% of Americans said they agreed with the way he was handling health care, but 63% said they had a favorable view of him. More recently, a number of commentators have asked whether President Trump was also made of Teflon. After all, they reason Trump has survived two impeachments and a number of public scandals within his administration. Teflon can also be used to describe any powerful person who manages to avoid, over a long period of time, who manages to avoid blame over a long period of time. The New York Mafia boss, John Gotti, was dubbed the Teflon Don, for example, after he managed to avoid conviction in trial after trial during the 1980s. In 1986, DuPont, the manufacturers of Teflon, expressed anger about the way the word Teflon was being used in the press. They didn't care that people were describing the president as Teflon. The company simply wanted people to remember to put a trademark symbol next to the word. In a press release, DuPont said, it is not, alas, a verb or an adjective, not even when applied to the President of the United States. Are you Teflon? You know, some people have said they are, not in the sense in which it might be used for a politician or an unimportant person, but simply that words do not hurt them. Words that are intentionally meant to be hurtful and personal simply fly off them. Now, I don't know if they are 100% Teflon, but for the, most, for the most part, they are. Are you Teflon? Last week, we saw how Jesus had chosen his 12 apostles after a long time of prayer on a mountain. When he came down with them, there was a large crowd of his disciples and what is described as a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus spoke to the hearing of all, 
but specifically to his disciples. He pronounced blessings upon them, words to the effect that although things were tough for them now, they would have great joy and reward in heaven. Our text for today is a continuation of Jesus' speech that day. We can characterize what he said previously as a state of being as God's people. They are blessed in spite of circumstances that might indicate otherwise. Today, it's about doing as God's people. Being God's people leads to acting as God's people. I imagine that the words Jesus spoke were difficult for the disciples to hear. They had just seen him heal the sick among all these people who were following him and casting down demons on those who were possessed by them. If he would do that for the outsiders, surely he would do something even better for them. The insiders, he didn't. Instead, he is now teaching them to do something that is so unnatural, to love your enemies. How about fair is fair? Even Moses had taught the Israelites fracture for fracture, eye for eye, and tooth for tooth. That is a more natural way to act. You hurt people the same way they hurt you, and if possible, you hurt them more so they don't do that to you again. Even some politicians in our own day say that loving your enemy is appeasement. They say it is a bad thing because aggressors might not learn if you let them off the hook. Many people would have left Jesus as a leader for not leading with strength. But these disciples, they stayed. Whatever thoughts they may have had about, about Jesus concerning his teaching, they stayed with him. They did not express disappointment. What Jesus taught them is different from what a regular leader who wants more followers would do. You want to rouse your followers with a stirring speech. You want to say, stand up to the bullies. Stand up to your enemies. Don't let them run roughshod over you. Fight them. Fair is fair. Why do you want to appear to other, weak to other people? Several years ago, I got a job in an alternative school in Houston. I would describe this school as an alternative, alternative school. It was a school for the worst of the worst of students. This was the last chance for them. If they made progress, they would avoid jail. Otherwise, that's where they would end up, jail. I was hired with three others. The first thing we had to do before we started the jobs was to undergo three days of training by a martial artist in how to take down somebody who was being aggressive. We were shocked by it and really hated that, but we needed jobs. The students had to ride in a school bus to get to school and ride in the same school bus to go home. They had to be searched every, every morning before they entered the school. They had to take off their shoes and have them inspected before they would even pass through metal detectors. There were only three classrooms, and they were all mixed together, girls, boys, sixth graders, and 12th graders. The atmosphere was not conducive to learning at all, and they were not willing to learn. 
they were not allowed to feel sleepy. A sixth grader admitted freely that the reason he was there was because he did sell drugs. He had been caught three times. One ninth grader said he had sliced his wrist a couple times. One morning, he said he had popped a handful of Xanax before coming to school. He couldn't stop putting his desk on his desk to sleep. A 12th grader once asked me what I would do if I was waiting at a bus stop and somebody came and struck me on the head. I said I would feel angry, but would probably walk away. He said, that's weakness, man. The president would come again the following morning and strike you again. And the next day, and the day after that, it will never stop. You have to strike him back. You have to fight him to show that you are a man. He's your enemy. You got to fight back. He saw everything as survival. Jesus said, love your enemies. What? Are you Teflon to do what Jesus is asking you to do? That is what Jesus was teaching to his core disciples, but also to the larger group of disciples as well. You and I, we are disciples too. Not the 12 he chose and named apostles, but part of the larger group. Jesus moves from being, from being blessed as his followers to now doing. And what he is asking them to do is very hard. The more you think about it, the harder it feels. Now, it is likely that Jesus was teaching them that as they grew in their faith, they would reach out to others in an effort to bring them into one family, all saved from their sins, in order to live one day with God forever. They would make some friends who would come to believe in Jesus, just like they did. But they would also run into intense opposition and persecution. When that happened, it would be easy to see the opponents as enemies because they are saying and doing things against you. Jesus is teaching them not to consider those who would oppose them as enemies, but rather to love them and to pray for them. Now, people in some parts of the world face the kind of opposition and persecution that Jesus is talking about. Some are killed together with their families but they did not regard those who mistreated them as enemies, but as people whom Jesus loved, people for whom he gave his life as well. Jesus enabled them to stand firm and did not allow persecution to make them hate those who persecuted them. They are what Teflon Christians, in a positive sense, would do. Here in America, Christians don't face that kind of persecution but we may face opposition from those who want nothing to do with Jesus or Christianity. And that may happen to you, even though all you're trying to do is reach out with the love of Jesus for them. If and when that happens, Jesus is saying, pray for those who have that kind of attitude. Love them. Do not judge them or condemn them. It's not always going to be easy to do that. Because the last time I checked, you and I, we are humans with emotions. Are you Teflon 
to let everything slide, just like Jesus is saying? Do you even have enemies? Maybe not actively, not that you can recall. Has somebody done or said anything to you in the past that was so hurtful you considered not having anything to do with that person ever again? If you love your enemies, it might change their attitude toward you. There's no guarantee that it would, but it might, and you might win somebody over. You might not necessarily forget what happened, but even as you remember, your anger level will come down. And at some point, you might be able to say, yes, I remember, but I'm not angry anymore. If you love your enemy, it will change you. It will bring you peace with the present and peace within. Think about what happened when Joseph's brothers finally recognized him. They were speechless. They believed for sure that he would do something terrible to them, not that he had limitless power and they had none, zero. Joseph did not regard them as enemies. Instead, he showed immense kindness to them. He said to them, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, they talked with him. It probably took them a little while to process what had just happened. But they were indeed all reconciled. And Joseph had them and their families, and Jacob, their dad, moved to Egypt, where they thrived in the famine and beyond. As Christians, we are living as people who were at one time enemies of God, whether it has ever felt that way or not. And God took it upon himself, without requiring us to do anything, to send his son, Jesus Christ, to come down and reconcile us to him. He did not say, be my friend first, and then I'll forgive you. He did not say, be a good person first, and then I'll forgive you. He did not say, prove that you love me first, and then I'll forgive you. No, he took the initiative. And what he set out to do, he completed. He completed it with his very life. So committed was he to accomplishing God's purpose of reconciling you to himself. He gave himself to you and me completely. And as proof that God accepted his sacrifice, he rose again from the dead. He now lives forever and will come again. We shall see him and live with him. That's the promise that he has made. And he will certainly keep it because he is faithful. Are you Teflon? By the grace of God, you are. We aim to do as Teflon Christians will do, praying for those who have heard us and loving them as Jesus would have us do. Let us pray. Lord God, give us grace to do what is contrary to our nature, to look beyond ourselves and to do for others what we want done to us. Help us to love our enemies because we too were at one time enemies of yours, not deserving anything good from you. But you came and reconciled us to God 
the most important reconciliation that we will ever need. We have freely received from you without preconditions. Help us to remove preconditions from our hearts before we are willing to be kind and gracious to those who have hurt us in one way or another. In the name of Jesus, amen.